When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I'm going to give you a heads up. Today's podcast has like next to no structure. I have a list of things that I want to talk about, but I'm also in a bad mood. I'm liable to say anything at this point. Let's start with how the day began. The day began absolutely wonderfully. I woke up early. And I did my stretches and I put on the final episode of the Oprah show. I watched it over the weekend and I found it so inspirational. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to begin starting my day with something like inspirational, like have my coffee or my tea and just have a moment to just like sit and think about what I want to accomplish for the day as opposed to like waking up, grabbing my phone and then going into like 10 mode until I go to sleep like 18 hours later. So I was like, you know what? Let's let's try like a new process for the day. So I got up and I put on my Oprah and I had taken all these notes and I'd watched this episode over the weekend and I'd taken so many notes and I was like, I wanted like not just have these notes like placed on this um this wall I have in my house where I keep like um organizational charts of like, you know, like my meetings and when the ship dates are for like various product launches or this other big project that I'm working on, like due dates for that, other stuff or whatever. But but I have like this wall that I keep, that I post like all this information on. And then I also have quotes on there. And so I was like, I want these quotes to like stick into my head until they become second nature to me. And I change my way of thinking into some of the things that Oprah said. And one of the things that she says, she says, um, your life is speaking to you. What is it saying? There's another one that says, take risks. I'm sorry, that's not an Oprah quote. That's from Rebecca Pearson on This Is Us. Um, But that's a good one too. But Oprah says, you are worthy because you are born and because you are here. Your being here, your being alive makes worthiness your birthright. You are enough. There's another one. She says, I wait and I listen for the guidance that is greater than my meager mind. The only time I've made mistakes is when I didn't listen. She says, your life is always speaking to you. She says, also, this is the last one I'm going to quote for you. She says, each of you has your own platform. Mine is a stage in a studio. Yours is wherever you are. So this is just a small change that I'm, I'm making in my life. I have a list of things that I want to do differently, changes that I want to make. I believe in making change in small steps. I'm not like a big radical change person. I mean, radical change over time, not radical change immediately. I don't want to like shock my system. So this is one of the changes. Oddly enough, what one of the other changes were, I had this great idea when I was on hiatus. I wanted to change the podcast. And my idea was that I would make every Tuesday episode a respectable episode. And then every Friday would be the ratchet episode. So all the good black news on Tuesday, all the uplifting stories, all of the, um, the Oprah S quotes or Rebecca Pearson S quotes. And we would have like more of a, um, not necessarily like a life coaching session. I mean, I I am a certified life coach, but I, I choose not to act in that capacity for various reasons. It's just not something I'm, I'm just in the season for right now. That's not the point. The point is, I had this idea I was going to change the format of Ratchet and Respectable. I went to Leading Women Defined. I was sitting with one of my friends, Latham. You know Latham. Latham the doula. Mama Glow Latham. You know her. Okay. So I was sitting there talking to Latham. And Latham's like the sweetest person in the whole wide world. So I was telling Latham, I was like, yeah, so this is what I think I'm going to do for the podcast. And Latham was like, who asked for that? I said, what you mean who asked for that? And I was like, this was just an idea that I had. Like, I want to like, you know, play with the format. She said, ain't nobody asked you to play with the format. We asked you to do the podcast as promised on Tuesday and on Friday. Nobody said anything to you about changing the format of the podcast. This is not a good idea. 
I was like, no, no, Latham, because, you know, there's people who like the ratchet and there's people who like the respectable. And she was like, no, 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 it's ratchet and respectable. I want it all together at once. I don't want it separate. She was very upset about it. And she was like, no. So if you like the format of the podcast as is, thank Latham. Send her a little message and say thank you. I was hell bent. I think this is the move. And she was like, no. I say that to say all change is not good, but some change is. And I'm working on finding like effective change in my life. I'm experimenting with different things to see how they like work out for me. And I will keep what works and I will take away what does not. I'm going to not try to play with the podcast because I've mentioned it to several other people. And the response is pretty much the same. They're all faithful listeners. And they were like, nobody asked for that shit. Just get it to me on Tuesday and Friday. I mean, Wednesday and Saturday is fine too. Just get me my podcast as I want it. Nobody asked for changes. And I was like, okay, all right, bring it down to a 10. Anyway, so I went to the gym. I had a wonderful workout. I had a list of, um, of things that I wanted to accomplish in the gym in terms of my cardio and in terms of like my muscle building. And I did a really great job with that today. Like I felt like I, I gave my life and soul to the gym this morning. Like I was like, if this shit don't reflect on the scale or in inches, more importantly, on my body, I'm going to Ghana at the end of the month. It's 90 degrees every day. I will be by somebody's pool. I will be half naked most of somebody's day. I'm not trying to embarrass myself or my family name. I don't really care what white people think, but I was like, I do care what other black people think. I don't want to be like an embarrassment to American blackness in front of like African blackness. So I'm doing what I can to pull myself together. I mean, for this Ghana trip and then overall in general, I told you I was not at my best self. And I was like, I'm tired of just like being like, oh, well, I'm not at my best self. Like, no, let me actually go put in the work to like be at my best self. How about that? So that's where I am. But I got a call. (laughs) I'm trying to temper how I share this. I got a call and it was like, Demetria, can you write this thing? It's the cover story I've been talking about. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, there's been an ongoing issue with the cover story. So like finding the time to write the cover story and get it in and then getting the edits back, which were um, pretty brutal. And then having to rewrite the cover story, which, you know, I was up for between doing like the entire run that requires that's required for the podcast between like the research, the taping, the editing and shipping it in. And then as soon as that went in, like, you know, ordering food, eating. So like off for an hour and then rewriting the cover story. Like I was up for like like 32, 34 hours straight to get it done with the edits and adjustments that were asked for. So I was asked to write this cover story and they told me who the person was. But they said, like, you know, we came to you because we saw that you we saw how you wrote about Nisi and Jessica. And we really want to tell like that kind of, of black love story. Great. I love talking about dating and relationships, talking about like black love, black couples. Like, yeah, I think this would be a great story to tell. So I interviewed the the subject. I wrote this story based on the interview that they gave and they didn't like it. And they also were like, well, you know, this isn't the love story that I expected it to be. And I was just, well, you know, to be frank with you, what you gave me as a story isn't a love story. Nisi and Jessica, I don't remember what time that interview was. It was either 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. These two popped up on my Zoom. It was a big couch. They were sitting right up next to each other on this big ass couch in matching Versace robes looking just cute as fuck at 9 a.m. And then they finished each other's sentences. And I wrote in the piece about them that, and I don't mean this as any commentary on their maturity overall, but I wrote this in the piece and I think they received it in the way that I meant it. But they behave like teenagers in love. And I mean that to say that like people who have never had their heart broken before, like they just have this wide open kind of love and energy and interaction where they're just like, fully free, fully open, open to whatever from each other. Like, it's just, it's very rare to see it. And because it's so rare, it's something that's worth commenting on. And it's not to say that if you don't have that kind of like, you know, a teenage love, a wide open love, or exactly that kind of like, kind of like mushy, all in, gaze in your eyes, finish each other's sentences kind of love, that your love story is not worthy, if that it's not equal but it's like, if it is that, then it's, it's, you know, it's something worth writing that this is how they love. But if it's not, then it's just not. The subject was really upset. And they were like, well, you know, this isn't how she wrote about Nisi and Jessica. And I was like, well, cause you're not Nisi and Jessica. It doesn't mean your, your shit is wrong. 
You know, I talk about Steve and Marjorie all the time. I think there was an episode ago. I talked about um, Will Packer and his wife, Mrs. Packer. Forgive me, I don't know her name. I mean, no disrespect, but I hope she finds it respectful that I called her Mrs. Packer. But I think they're fucking adorable. Like, Nisi and Jessica are, are kind of like an attached at the hip kind of couple. And that's not a bad thing. That's what works for them. I don't get that impression from, from Mr. and Mrs. Packer. But when they come together, they look like they have a good ass time. Will gets on Instagram. He take, he'll take a picture of his wife and be like, this woman is stalking me. She follows me everywhere. Sir, you'd be miserable if she wasn't there. That's exciting. I like that shit. Steve and Marjorie, their love is not Mr. and Mrs. Packer. It's also not Nisi and Jessica. It's an entirely different kind of thing. They have a whole different way of loving. And it doesn't make their loving wrong. It doesn't make their loving better or worse. It just makes it different in a way that they love and works for them. Steve be everywhere. Steve be working his ass off. But Steve also be real quick to be like, I got to get home to my girl. Steve is what, in his 60s? Marjorie is a 55, 56-year-old woman. Steve talking about, I got to get home to my girl. They got a different kind of love. That's not Niecy Jessica love. That's not Mr. and Mrs. Packer love. But, but it doesn't need to be. So I wrote about this subject and their love and she was really upset. And she was just like, you're not capturing my love. And, and I was like, subject, I captured it. Maybe you don't like the reflection that I gave back to you of what you showed me. I don't think what you showed me was bad. But it's not Nisi, it's not Jessica, and it's not Mr. and Mrs. Packer, and it's not Steve and Marjorie, and it's not traditional, but it's yours, and it's working for you, and I don't see the freaking problem. So I sent in my, my version of the story, and the publication came back and said, you know, they're not happy. And I was like, what do you want me to do with that? Like, I'm not writing for them. I'm writing for you because you're my editor, and you contracted me, and I'm writing for the audience because, you know, my my job as a journalist is to you know, be a representative of the reader. I get access to the person, but my job is to ask the questions that the reader wants to know. Like, what would they ask if they had the opportunity to sit in front of, you know, this person? So they were like, yeah, so so-and-so, like they came back and they had like this list of changes that they wanted you to make. And, you know, in terms of tone and add quotes and do this and do that. And I was like, yo, like in 20 some odd years as a journalist, I've never been asked to make adjustments based on what the subject wants, unless I'm writing a press release. Cause I used to do that too. That was a very lucrative thing when I was in my early twenties. I used to write the press releases for like new artists for like a bunch of record companies. That's how a lot of writers get their start and keep their rent paid in New York. So yeah, I did that. But I was like, this is not that. This is not a press release. Like you hired me as a journalist. Like I'm writing as a journalist. Again, I'll make all the edits you want as as an editor. But I was like, I'm not writing to make the subject happy. And so I stay up and I do this like 32, 34 hour stretch to get, you know, the podcast done and to get this piece done. I turn it in and it's like the first version, keep it 100, wasn't my best. On a tight deadline, had to get the shit in. Second version, you know when you knock it out the fucking part. I knocked it out the fucking part. Editor was like, I think it's amazing. Entertainment editor was like, I think it's amazing. And just for clarity, I'm not talking about Essence or Hollywood Reporter because those are the places that I've, mo- I've written for most recently. So people would just naturally assume. I just want to take that off the table. It's neither one of them. So the editor is like, we're good. The entertainment editor is like, we're good. For whatever reason, they choose to seek approval from the subject. That's a publication issue. I've never heard of it before, but it's something that happened. Um, The subject hates it. And she was like, it's just not giving black love. And they were like, yo, like, this is a really good story. And it actually represents you in like a really great light. She was like, I hate it. So you know what they did to my story? They scrapped it. They scrapped my story. They're paying me my full rate, which is literally the only reason I'm not blasting them right now. But I say all this to say, right? When we did the negotiations, they said, um, subject reached out to us and they said, we want Demetria to write the cover because she did Nisi and Jessica. They said, great. We know Demetria. Demetria is a great writer. We're on it. So they reach out to me. They're like, hey, D, can you write this cover story? I said, sure. Here's my rate. They said, ooh. That's not what we pay. We pay half your rate. And I was like, oh, 
I appreciate that, but no, I can't write the story for that rate. And they were like, Demetria, like it's a really good story and it's a cover and it's blah, blah, blah. And I said, yes, I just did a cover like two weeks ago for, it was like a, it was a historic issue for Essence and, and I just did Hollywood Reporter and I interviewed like the lead actor on like one of my favorite shows. Like, yeah, I, I understand, but this is my rate. And they were like, oh, can you do it for XYZ? And I was like, mm, I can't. Like, this is my rate. And they were like, oh, well, can you do it for XYZ plus, plus Y? And I was like, mm, no, this is my rate. And so they were like, well, can you do X? Like, minus like a teeny bit, like a bit. I was like, why don't you cut your word count and pay me my rate? And so it will be within your budget. And then you'll also get a solid story that'll be slightly shorter than what you're accustomed to doing. So that way I get my rate and, it's, and you have something that's like within a budget that you can work with. And they said, cool, let's do that. That's a mistake. Because the truth of the matter is, if someone really wants you and they think you're worthwhile, they're just going to pay you your rate. And if they can't afford you, then they just can't. And that's it. So I feel like when all of these things come to a head, it's like they felt like I was being paid too much and I felt like I wasn't being paid enough. And then like you've got this artist in the middle who's like, this isn't what I want, blah, blah, blah. And then it just becomes a headache all the way around. And I was like, I should have known from the beginning. Like When I accepted literally less than what my product is worth. I already had fucked myself in the beginning. So I take full accountability for this whole thing. And I was like, let me use this as a lesson learned. And I've learned this lesson before. It just didn't take. This time, it'll take. But I'm like annoyed because I was like, yo, like I worked my ass off to write this shit. Like I really wanted to go out for Oscar weekend and I didn't because I was like stuck in the house writing this piece. And I had no issue with that because I was like, you know what? I took this assignment. This is what I agreed to do. I didn't hit it by the deadline that I was supposed to. And so I can't go out partying when I have this deadline hanging over my head. Because as a former editor, it's mad disrespectful when you're like waiting on a piece for somebody and then you see them on Instagram like partying it away. Or you run into them at the party. Like, I've done my work. I've done my 60 hours this week. What the fuck are you doing here when you owe me a story? That's a whole nother issue. Lesson learned. I did like nothing this weekend. I wanted to go do things, but I ended up staying in the house most of the weekend. I just didn't have the energy. I don't know what's up with me, but I was just like, I just, I just kind of want to chill. I kind of want to don't do shit. So I didn't because I can. It was Grammy weekend. Grammys were in Vegas, not in LA. A bunch of my friends went to the Grammys. A bunch of people hit me and was like, are you here? And I was like, no, I'm not. I could have gone but I would have had to like pay out the ass and then like run around to like a bunch of different parties trying to finagle onto somebody's list or be somebody's plus one, which is cool. Like some weekends, but like Grammy weekend, people tend to be like really strict at the door. And I was like, I'm not trying to stand at the door trying to like talk my way in. Like if I don't have an invite or I'm not with somebody who has like a legitimate plus one or is throwing the event because that's also part of my grown up life. Now my friends are actually the people who are in charge of events. I was like, I could have gone. I'm good. I don't even work with music like that anyway. I'm far more TV film, so yeah. It looked like a good-ass time. While we're on the subject, congratulations to the Jasmine. She won her first Grammy for Hotels. I love Jasmine Sullivan. She looks so pretty. She had this beautiful black and white. It looked like leather. Black and white suits are having a moment. Tam Tam, Tamron. I call her Tam Tam in my head. Tamron Hall had on this beautiful black and white suit the other day. It was so gorgeous so gorgeous that I like randomly posted it in my Instagram stories because sometimes you just got to like give people their goddamn she looked amazing but Jasmine Sullivan also looked amazing while she was accepting her Grammy she looked absolutely beautiful but I'm like okay so now that Jasmine has like her Grammy like with haste can we get her on like it doesn't have to be like the observatory because Adele already did that but can we get her on like you know some big outside concert with like the sun setting in the background can she have her very big moment to like stand in a gown and look very, very beautiful and sing her songs? Like she has enough of a catalog. Jasmine Sullivan has like a, a good solid like 10 to 12 songs that she could sing for us. That are like good songs, not like even filler shit, but like good songs. But I was like, I'm waiting patiently on like my Jasmine Sullivan live moment. Thank you. Kindly. With haste. I want my full Jasmine Sullivan moment. Thank you. I saw Silk Sonic. They won a Grammy, which is unsurprising to me because they're fucking amazing. I don't know who else won Grammys. I didn't watch. I, I didn't care. I saw SZA. SZA won a Grammy. I think she won it with somebody else. Was it Doja Cat? I saw SZA going to the stage on crutches. I saw her long ass dress with the train 
and her in crutches trying to get on the stage. I also saw her get up from a table with like a team full of people. And I was like, and so none of y'all thought maybe we should help the girl with crutches get on the stage or we should, you know, help fix her gown or anything. And if you didn't even think it in the moment, at the point where you saw Lady Gaga bent over fixing Scissor's gown, nobody at Scissor's table thought like, oh shit, let's go fix the gown. Let's like help our person get to the stage in peace. Not so much. But God bless Lady Gaga. She's on one for being like a good human over the last couple of weeks. She also with the um, the Oscars, there was a moment with her and Liza Minnelli. I didn't watch the Oscars until maybe like five days after the Oscars. Like I just, I was all talked out about that Will Smith situation, which we're going to have to address just a teeny tiny bit. We're not doing a whole segment. I'm so sick of talking about Will Smith. Gaga had a moment with Liza Minnelli. Liza was on stage in a wheelchair and she looked very nervous. She was fumbling with her cue cards when they were doing the announcement and the microphone picked up Gaga. It was, oh my God. I got like a little, you heard that like catch in my voice. <laughs> Gaga leaned over to, to Liza Minnelli and she told her, she, she said, uh, don't worry, I got you. And Liza said back to her, she said, I know. <laughs> I just thought that was a cute moment. Like, oh, like she, like she recognizes the good people in Gaga and she knows that she's in good hands. I appreciated that. But shout out to Lady Gaga because she really could have sat there and ate her food and drank her liquor and be like, oh, it's so sad. That girl on crutches ain't got nobody to help her. But she bent over and like, you know, got the gown right. I'm not going to say scissor fire your people, but scissor, have a conversation with your people because they left you out there, sis. And I don't like that for you. You're a Grammy Award winner. Make sure people come fix your fucking gown. (sighs) Do we want to talk about the Oscars? Not really. Can we just talk about frivolous shit? I'm just not serious right now. I've been drinking red wine, in case you can't hear it in my voice or in my commentary. I'm not, like, drunk. I'm just on, like, glass, like, one and a half. It's 6.50 p.m. on a Monday. It's after 5 o'clock where I am, so I'm in good, I'm in good standing. What's on this list? We have a bunch of TV stuff on this list, but I actually want to talk seriously about most of the TV stuff, except for the part about Whit Harris's ass. We'll get to that in a second. Oh, can we talk about fashion diplomacy? I know we just talked about Tamron Hall and we talked about Jasmine Sullivan and how she looked amazing in her black and white. I want to talk about Tiffany Haddish. Because Tiffany Haddish, early on in her career, she had bought this very expensive white dress. I want to say it was like $4,000. And Tiffany was like, look, I just got on. I don't know how long this on lasts, but I paid $4,000 for this goddamn dress and I'm going to wear it everywhere. And she looked good in the dress. Let me, let me, let me first point that out. She looked good in the dress. I'm also not one of those people who believes that you only wear something once or even that you only wear something and post it once. I have a closet of clothes. It's a, it's a, it's a closet that I have carefully cultivated over years to create a wardrobe. I like my clothes. I own my clothes. I don't rent them like a lot of people do. And I will wear my shit more than once and feel really good about it. You know who else does that? Michelle Obama. You know who else does that? Oh, Kate. Kate's the wife of the heir apparent to the British throne. If she can wear her own shit twice and Michelle Obama can wear her own shit twice, I don't know why anybody else would think twice about it. Maybe y'all got money to burn to buy a new outfit every time y'all go somewhere. I don't. I don't. I have other things that I'd rather spend my money on than impressing strangers on the internet. I buy good shit that lasts and I wear it more than once. I say all that to say. Tiffany Haddish has been looking fucking amazing as of late. And I just want to shout her out for looking fucking amazing. She has picked up the fine art of fashion diplomacy. I saw her clip that went viral recently. This uh, reporter, I want to say it was from E! News, asked Tiffany, they said, she's like, oh, did you do a costume change? Tiffany basically went off on the girl. I mean, politely, but off nonetheless. And was like, I am not wearing a costume. I paid for this. I am rich. You are looking at black excellence, black wealth, black luxury. Like she went on a whole thing. And I was like, I didn't really think the girl deserved all of that. Some other people were like, oh no, to call her outfit a costume as if she was acting and couldn't afford it. And I was like, ah. People were like, that was a microaggression. And I was like, ah, I mean, okay. If you're being super sensitive, I can see it. Whatever. Um, but she was like, this is custom Dolce and Gabbana. And I was like, but you look good. Um, and she wore custom Prada the other day to the Grammys. And she also looked good. Ma'am, it told us, I want to say a few months ago, maybe it was over the summer. 
Maybe it was more than a few months. But ma'am had told us that she had lost 50 pounds. And I was like, I didn't feel like she had 50 pounds to lose. I thought she looked fine the way she was. But she said that she lost 50 pounds. And she does look, she does look very, very nice. And her custom gowns do look very, very nice. And so I just wanted to applaud her. Because I remember that early on I had said some things about Tiffany Haddish. And it wasn't necessarily the way she was dressed. It was when she, um, I want to say maybe it was like her first Oscars. And she was like a huge celeb. It was right after Girls Trip. Everyone knew who she was and was really excited about her. And she saw Meryl Streep and she got so excited in her beautiful Oscar gown on a carpet that she very much deserved to be on because she was in a movie that had grossed over $100 million. She hopped over this rope to greet Meryl Streep and Meryl Streep acted like she didn't know who the fuck she was. And I was like, you're way too good for that shit. People took that totally out of context and they were like, you're just being mean. It's respectability politics. And I was like, no, has she done that shit for Oprah? Has she done that shit for like Gladys Knight or Patti LaBelle or Viola Davis or like, I don't know, Angela Bassett. I don't know, Cicely Tyson, who was alive at the time. I wouldn't have had shit to say about it. But I was like, you hopping over a fucking rope for Meryl Streep. And Meryl Streep is an amazing actress. She's also a blonde white woman and she doesn't need to be hopped over a rope for. Just say hi. Hi, Meryl. Y'all on equal footing. She got an invite to the Oscars. You got an invite to the Oscars. She has a couple Oscars. You'll get one. Tiffany plays a lot of joke, joke roles. But Tiffany, I think, is someone who, in time, when she's ready for it, can zero in on the because comedy is is really like a fine line between like it's like comedy and uh, comedy and tragedy when tiffy's ready she can tiffy because I'm, I'm treating her like she's family now when tiffy's ready tiffy will cross over into to the tragedy side of things and she'll do drama very very well i believe some of our best dramatic actors begin their careers as comedians whoopi goldberg Seely, color purple that was her first role she was a whole comedian before she did Seely. tom hanks comedian Marlon fucking Wayans. I'm about to give a huge spoiler away. Sorry, it's been over a week. In Bel Air? Is Will's daddy? Marlon, bruh. You went from white chicks to that? I mean, not really. Because he also was like the abusive husband in in the uh, Aretha Franklin movie with Jennifer Hudson. Ted was up there with Ike Turner. Look, Marlon gonna have to stop playing these abusive men roles so well. Because he showed up on Bel Air looking a hot ass mess like he was down bad. And I was like, yo, is Marlon Wayans all right? <laughs> like, I know he's acting, but you know, sometimes people just jump so far into the character. You're like, bruh, is this how you living right now? Are you on hard times in real life? Because you look on hard times, sir. He played the hell out of that role. To the point that I was really like, Marlon Wayans is a deadbeat dad who's been in prison for the last 10 years. He played the hell out of that role. But I was like, Marlon, Marlon got one more high profile role as an ain't shit degenerate dude before we really start thinking something's wrong with Marlon Wayans. The same way we look at Michael Ely and be like, something wrong with that boy. Now, he's a very attractive man. But when you see Michael Ely, same with Bel Air, right? As soon as Michael Ely came on the scene, we didn't know nothing about the storyline or where it was going. Everybody was like, oh, stay away, stay away. Because when we see Michael Ely, because of the roles that he has played over like two decades... When we see Michael Ely, we automatically assume it's some shenanigans about to occur. You're going to try to kill somebody. You try to dangle them kids out the window. In that other movie, you was hiding under that lady's bed because you was a stalker and a killer. Or you're going to be some kind of hoe where you're trying to break up somebody's happy marriage. As soon as we see Michael Ely walk into a scene, we already start thinking the worst. That's going to happen to Marlon, too. I told this story on Instagram earlier today. Amari Hardwick almost cursed me out. I asked people, I said, did I tell you the Amari Hardwick story with the patty pie? And they were like, no, you didn't tell us this story. It happened in 2018, and that's the year before I started the podcast. That's why. One year at Essence Festival, I was charged with interviewing a bunch of celebrities for Essence. I was going to be one of the celebrity interviewers for Essence.com. There were so many celebs available at the time that the entertainment editor was running one set of interviews. And then I was handling another set of interviews. One of the people I was charged with handling was Omari Hardwick, who was on power at the time. So like, you know, huge, huge star. Our day got thrown off because I was also doing this activation for Walmart where I had to interview Patti LaBelle about the Patty Pies. And I wasn't fucking up an interview with Patti LaBelle. So say Patti LaBelle was scheduled for like three o'clock. Patti LaBelle 
maybe like 15 minutes before the interview is supposed to start, says that she's not feeling so good. She's had a very long day and she'd been out on like the Walmart stage for like most of the day. And she says she needs like 45 minutes to lay it down and recharge. What are we going to do? We're going to tell Patty LaBelle, like, either figure it out or we're not going to do it. Because Patty LaBelle would be very much like, well, we're not going to do it and get the fuck on. So we're like, oh, okay, well, 45 minutes delay, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out for Patty LaBelle. So we're trying to reschedule Omari Hardwick. And we explained to Omari Hardwick. So, like, here's the issue it's not that Patty LaBelle is more important than you. Patty LaBelle is like a woman of a certain age, she is a living legend. She just pushed the interview, which is throwing everybody's timeline off. So can you come in early or can you come in after? And can you meet us in room A? Omari's people say, we understand. Patty's situation, we understand. Much respect to Patty, no issues. We can meet you in room A at XYZ time. Okay. Patty interview happens. Once Patty gets her 45 minutes, Patty shows up ready to work. The thing was supposed to take 30 minutes to shoot because we thought we needed to do several takes. Patty came on, ultimate professional. We shoot it in 15. We're all good to go. We go to room A to set up for the Omari interview. Somebody else is in room A. Shit. We got to move it to somewhere else. The other room that's available because we got backups just in case stuff like this happens is room B. Room B is on the other side of the convention center. If you've ever been to the New Orleans Convention Center, it is very, very large. So to walk from room A to room B, it's like a seven minute trot, which all in all is not that long. But if you imagine just walking seven minutes, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a bop. So Omari's people get there. Omari's people are unhappy. Omari's like, I already, you know, agreed to do this interview at a later time. And I have plans and I had this and I had that. Now you got me going from here to there, blah, blah, blah. And like, and I get it. Like, you know, we, we keep making changes. And even though we've explained the changes and the reasons behind them, maybe it's coming off unprofessional because like all these changes are happening. But it's like, sir, we are here. We are ready. We are on time. We just need you to move from this one room to the other room. He's having a fit. My producer calls me and it's like, Omari's like, you know, really upset. He doesn't want to go to room B. There's somebody in room A. Can you come and can you like, you know, can you help? Can you talk to him? Can you whatever? So I like run out. I'm in heels, by the way. I run out to where Omari is in like room A. So I do like my seven minute brisk walk to where Omari is, which by the way, he could have been to me by then, but he's still in room A. I'm like, Omari, I'm so sorry for this, you know, for this back and forth. I respect your time. I respect that, you know, we made several changes and, you know, this is what you planned for. But, you know, we really, really want you. And this is, um, you know, this is, uh, this is the interview that we really want to do. You're doing us a gigantic favor. Can you do this interview for us? It would really mean so much. But he was like, I've, you know, like all day I've been working and I've, I've done this and I've done that. And I came to New Orleans and I can't even enjoy it. And I'm, I'm here and I'm there and I'm this and I'm that. And I was like, you know what? Have you had some patty pie? And he said, who has patty pie? And I said, we have a bunch of patty pie. Do you, do you want some patty pie? Like, we just interviewed Patty LaBelle, and we have a bunch of pie. And he says, you know, my grandmother, today is her birthday. And he said, I'm not with my grandmother. He said, I wanted to be with my grandmother on her birthday, but I came here because I got to work, and I got to do that. And he said, you know, my grandmother, she makes this beautiful sweet potato pie, and I wish I was there with my grandmother. And I said, well, you know, it's not your grandmother's pie. But maybe, you know, you can have this patty pie and you can call your grandmother and maybe she can eat the pie and you can eat the pie. It'll be like a, 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 a grandmother, grandson bonding. Y'all not together. So it's like you are. And he was like, OK, he said, where's the pie? And I said, well, the pie is in room B. He said, the pie is in room B. I said, the pie is in room B. He said, OK, let's go get the pie. So we walked to room B. He walked in. He said, where's the pie? I said, here's the pie. It was my pie. I gave him my pie. I said, Here, here's the pie. And he said, oh, he said, this look good. He opened it. He smelled it. He said, oh, this look good. It smell good. And I said, yeah, I heard it's really good. Like, I've, I've never had the patty pie. And he's like, oh, yeah, the patty. This is good pie. This is good pie. I said, okay. All right. I, you've had it. I haven't. I've, I've never had the pie. This is my pie. Okay, whatever. So we sit down and um, Omari has the pie like on his lap. And I said, Omari, I said, did you want to um, did you want to give the pie to one of your people so they can hold the pie during the interview? And he said, no, I just put it on this table right here. So it stays with me. OK, I put the pie on the table. He said, yeah, I'm gonna put the pie on the table so it stays with me. I said, OK, OK. So he put the pie right on the table next to him. So it was, it was within arm's reach. Him and the pie. The pie was right there. Couldn't nobody take that pie from him. So we had a nice conversation. It started off well. We talked about power. We talked about some of his other projects. We talked about what was next. We talked about the things he likes to do, the hobbies he likes to do off camera. 
we had a wonderful conversation. It was going really well. And I said, Omari, I said, let me ask you something. You are a very lovely man. And I said, why don't you ever play lovely man characters? And he said, what do you mean? I said, Omari, you play a lot of characters. They like to cheat. Like, you don't, you don't really play a lot of upstanding black man characters. He damn near flipped on me. And he was like, I played this, and I played this, and I played this. He said, people only want to focus on the negative when it comes to the black man. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. And I said, Amari, that's not what I'm trying to say. And I was like, I'm thinking of characters like, you know, Power. The, the, the Tyler Perry movie, you gave HIV to Janet Jackson. There was something else, too, where he was derelict. And I was like, you you played a lot of derelict. And he was like, that's not, that's not true. I've also done. I've also done. I've also done. And I was like, okay, this, we're going nowhere with this conversation. We're just going to have to move along. He was 38 hot with me. I think we had to cut that part of the interview because literally, like, he flipped on me. And not at all that I thought he was going to become violent. Like, it wasn't any, any sorts of ways, anything like that. But, like, he was visibly and audibly angry at the suggestion that he plays a bunch of, like, cheating-ass men. And I was like, bro, your, your most famous role is power. And you were a cheating-ass man for... That was, like, the, the crux of the show is, like, you started cheating with, like, the Latina chick who died for you, my dude. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we finished the interview, and then afterward, he hugged me like he just hadn't, like, fucking yelled at me. I want to say, like, he opened his arms, and I went into him for the hug because he wasn't moving away from that pie. And then after, like, I left, he picked up the pie and was, like, holding it to his chest and was like, I'm going to go call my grandma. And I was like, you know what? Wish your grandma a happy birthday for me. Like, happy birthday, grandma. There's a man by the name of Channing Crowder. I have never heard his name before. I saw him listed as an ex-NFL player. He was on a recent podcast episode. There is video of him that has since gone viral. And he has this issue, like many other people, men people, I've never heard a woman really complain about it, with Russell Wilson and his wife of six goddamn years, Sierra. These people have been married for six years and have created two human lives together. They they have had no public scandal. In fact, anytime you see them in public, they look absolutely delightful and wonderfully in love. There's been no, not even rumor, hint, or suggestion of marital strife. And for some reason, men especially, they're like, they're offended by Sierra being with Russell. And so Channing Crowder... Let me go play the audio for you because I would repeat it and he'd be like, no one said that. No one gives that much of a fuck. Au contraire. Au contraire. Let's go pull it up. Yeah, Russell ain't had that bread. Sarah going to be with him. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Square. Russell Square, she has a good situation, but she was you don't leave Future they, and in, get with Russell Wilson. The, the, the thing is, I think, think that's what you You don't leave though. Future and get with Russell Wilson. Women women it's, a, it's a type. Listen, women women everybody got a type. Yeah, that's true. Everybody has a type. You're going to leave Future and get with Russell Wilson? Is, though, when you He's had, so goddamn square, and I love him on the field. He's a square. He's a king square. Channing, you go from this level of toxicity, you just want something stable. You want the guy that was sitting with that girl with that big old mouth at the draft that was laughing and you knew she deserved to be with him. Goofball! Yeah, you want that you guy. You want to get with goofballs. I saw that clip on Baller Alert. You know what? I've, I've talked about Russell and Sierra on so many occasions. I had a big viral moment talking about Russell and Sierra a couple years ago. And my commentary was like, about what I would say now, I was like, I don't understand why men are so adamant to think that women don't want a Russell Wilson. He's an attractive, wide man. He's easy on the eye. Just, just start there, right? You have a conversation with him, and he seems like he has some brains and some sense. That I can recall, we, I haven't heard anything come out of Russell Wilson's mouth where I'm just like, oh, he's a fucking airhead, or he's a fucking idiot, or he's like a sexist, raging misogynist. He publicly praises his wife he likes to hang out with his children. He likes to like, you know, do his sport to the best of his ability. I'm like, what, what is the problem? He's very wealthy. He's one of the top paid players in the NFL. He's a family man. I don't understand why men think women wouldn't be attracted to a Russell. Dating a future is exactly what makes you want to go to a Russell. If you date someone who's nonstop conflict and drama you end up having a kid with them in which there's just more nonstop conflict and drama. And you're just like, you know what? I got a whole kid right now. 
I can't be on this, like, you know, run the streets, do dumb shit, be involved with drama and conflict and insecurity and instability nonstop. I can't live like this. I need something better, if not for me, for this this small human that I've created, because this ain't it. Everything about future is why somebody would go find a Russell. It's like you've seen the devil up close and you're like, oh, no, I got to go find something else from this. I can't live like this. I got to find the opposite of this. Ain't that what Russell is? We've seen two people do it. What's my fave? My fave, Lori. She didn't get caught up like Sierra. She got out of that with no baby. God bless her. And then she went and got with a, a quote and unquote square like Michael B. Jordan. I'm like, I'm, I'm really confused about how anybody ends up in like fucking relationships sometimes. I really am. Because I'm like, the men that women like, that women admire and look at and be like, that would be great husband material. That's somebody that would be good to like be a father to my children and build a home and build like a long lasting life with somebody I could put in like a good 50, 60 year run with. Like when you think of that person, you don't think of fucking future. Like you think of like, he'd be great to fuck. Nobody thinks about building a life with future. Even if you have a kid with future, nobody's thinking about building a life with future. You think about the child support check you could get off future. You might think about the come up you could get, but build a life. Nothing about future says build a life. So I'm really concerned for women and what they're supposed to do because it's like the men that we admire and that we look at and say, wow, you would make an excellent partner. They're the men that men don't respect or want to be. So like, what the fuck? I also think it's really weird. It's like we make this allowance for men and not even into a certain age, like all their lives. People just dismiss men's dalliances. You can sow your royal oats like literally for your entire life and never settle down. And people just call you a bachelor. You go from bachelor to to zaddy to sugar daddy to whatever. There's all sorts of cutesy names that make allowances for men who just want to like, you know, basically like fuck with no commitment their entire lives. Right. We make none of those allowances for women. Like you're never supposed to have any kind of like hoe phase, experimental phase, or just figure out what I want and I'm interested in phase. Or I just like sex and I want to have some phase. Like that's not allowed for women. Where's like women's just fun phase? Like men can have a, you know, I'm going to trust a big button, a smile phase. Women are supposed to like, I don't know, from the time they start dating to only make like these very purposeful, specific moves that position them in order to find a husband. You're always supposed to be on this constant search to find someone and you're always supposed to behave as if someone is to be considering you. And men just don't have that headache, expectation, I guess is the right word. And it's just not... It's not a matter of fairness. It's just not sensible. It's just like, why do you think that you want to have an expiratory phase where you just want to fuck chicks that have like big asses or or big titties or, or whatever you're into? Like you just want to fuck essentially. But I'm like, do you not feel like women also have that urge? Like, do you also feel like women like just want to date people sometimes just to have fun for like the kick and thrill of it all? Like we're looking to like lock down like every single dude we date or hang out with or even be in a relationship with. Sometimes you like date people really seriously, especially in your 20s, which you're like, this shit is just fun. That's it. Men will spend like 25 to 35 with the same woman and then break up with her and go marry somebody else like six months later. No one ever asked, like, how did you go from X to Y? It was just like, oh, you know, when he wanted to, like, take a wife, he went and found wife material. And that just, like, people were like, oh, well, that makes entire sense because, you know, you can't turn a hoe into a housewife. I was like, I don't understand, like, how this doesn't apply to Sierra. You date this man, you end up getting pregnant by him, you have a kid with him. And at some point, like, I would be disappointed in Sierra if she didn't look around at her life circumstances and was like, what the fuck am I doing? Because that's entirely what her actions read as. This can't be life. God did not bring me this far to drop me off here. I have to do better and did. Is that not what she's supposed to do? You date one derelict nigga so from here and on forever out, that's all you can ever have is derelict niggas? No. No. She leveled the fuck up like she should, especially with the kid. I don't understand why that bothers men so much. Like why that's considered like such a great offense. And that's the other part. This dude is like running his mouth about like Sierra and Russell. This dude was like, you heard the clip. He was like passionately upset about it. Who is this nigga? Like, why is his opinion being given so much weight about Russell and Sierra? Because again, 
These people have been married six fucking years and have created two new humans. And y'all still going in about how like, oh, she don't really want to be with him. Huh? This is how people get slapped. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying people do it. Exhibit A. Last week at the Oscars. If Russell Wilson pop off and slaps somebody, I'm just going to look the other way. I ain't got shit to say about it. I can't believe Russell Wilson slapped somebody. I can't believe he waited six years to do it. He should have done that shit around year two like Will. <sighs> Speaking of Will. Will Smith has, has resigned from the Academy. There's an official name of the Academy. I don't feel like looking it up right now. I'm sorry. I don't know what that means other than he can't vote for awards anymore and he doesn't get screeners to all the films. I don't really know like what him resigning really means other than they can't kick him out because of his behavior at last week's Oscars. The Academy has said that they are pursuing sanctions against him. I don't know what that looks like. I imagine it was probably kicking him out of the Academy, at least for a period of time. I wonder if their sanctions against him will be higher now because they don't have the same clout over him. You know, he thought they were about to fire him and so he quit. And so, you know, it takes away like the impact of you're fired. It's like, well, I just quit. Like what fucking difference does it make? So I wonder if, um, if that's going to change the way that they try to sanction him. I have no idea what sanctions against him could look like. I've heard people, I've heard read, I've heard random people online talk about the possibility of them taking his Oscar. None of my inside Hollywood friends, um, even talk about that. They were like, that's not even like a factor. That's so not going to happen. Um, the Oscar was earned fair and square. And if they take Will Smith's Oscar, then they get called onto the carpet of, well, you got to go back and take like Harvey Weinstein's Oscar and then um, Roman Polanski's Oscar and then maybe Woody Allen's Oscar. So like maybe they'll ban him from the Oscars for a few years. I think that's fair. Even in my commentary of Will Smith, I've, I've been very blatant in saying like you can't just say reckless shit to people and expect not to get punched in your mouth. Is it the right thing to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, is it something that's likely to occur? Absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Still no word from Chris Rock. At the time of recording, he may say something anytime, anytime now. He's currently on tour. We talked about what he said last week in Boston. I saw that he's been hanging out in Boston. I, there's a, a, there was a picture of him that went viral. He went to the movies by himself and someone took a picture with him. And people were like, oh, he looks so sad. He looks so lonely. He's going to the movies by himself. I would have gone with you, Chris Rock. I don't, I don't think it's that serious. I think the grown-ass man just, just wanted to go to the movies and, and watch a movie. Going to the movies alone doesn't mean you're lonely. It just means you're going to the movies alone. It doesn't mean there's no one to go with you. It means you may not have called anyone because you didn't want anyone to go. You just want to go to the goddamn movies and eat your popcorn. That, that's all it means. People are like, oh, he looks sad. He looked like somebody who got ran up on by a fan and really didn't feel like taking a picture, but took one anyway. That's what he looked like. People just be reading all sorts of shit. You know, and I did find amusing. <laughs> Chris Rock, before he got slapped by Will Smith, Chris Rock was set to announce the documentaries that were up for Oscars. And the one that won was Summer of Soul, which was a documentary done by Questlove and what Chris Rock referred to as, I want to say, four white guys. Questlove is the celebrity attachment to the documentary, which made everybody pay attention to it. But there were other people. Three of them were white guys. And one of them was an Indian American producer named Joseph Patel. Joseph Patel, as if Chris Rock wasn't dealing with enough. But I kind of felt where he was coming from because I was like, I'm, I'm not white, obviously. If somebody who referred to me as, so-and-so and those four white people and I was included in the white people, I would feel a certain way. So sir does feel a certain way. So he got on Twitter and he said of Chris Rock's description, which I think is worth noting. Chris Rock also made the same joke about Questlove and four white guys a couple days earlier at the Roots Jam. So he was like, this is a bit. It's not like he got smacked in the face and was like discombobulated. He was like, no, this was his interpretation of me nights earlier. I was, and I wondered, I was like, did he say something to him nights earlier? Like, don't call me a white guy? Something. So he got on Twitter and he said of being referred to as, as and for white guys, he says, what a shitty, disrespectful thing to do. 
he said, quote, I'm angry at Will Smith, angry at Chris Rock, angry for me, angry for Amir, angry for my fellow filmmakers. Thank you, Chris. You absolute fucking dick. I don't know why that's so funny to me. It's just like this Oscars has brought out the worst in everyone. Like people are just losing it. All these white people talking about they're traumatized. Did you see that? I don't have the story in front of me. It just, it comes to mind because I'm talking about this gentleman. Amy Schumer was like, I'm traumatized from what I saw at the Oscars. Did you get slapped? Folks are acting like somebody pulled out a gun and killed somebody on the Oscar stage. Nobody else was in danger in that moment other than Chris Rock. It's not like, you know, sir was walking around with a machine gun and anybody could get it and you were all in fear of their lives. It wasn't like, you know, you weren't like a liberal congressperson on January 6th. You were just at the goddamn Oscars. And Will Smith's anger, people keep calling it rage. And I was like, he slapped the man open hand and turned around and walked back to his seat, sat down and crossed his legs. That's not rage. He was over that nigga and decided that you specifically, sir, are going to be taught a lesson. There was no one, there was nothing to fear. Chris Rock wasn't even afraid. People didn't even realize that he was serious until he started yelling, keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. And that's when they realized like, oh, oh, that wasn't a skit. Now you're traumatized of what? That's your white lady Emmett Till jeans hopping out. You can't help yourself, but you need to. I was so traumatized of what? A slap? Girl, bye. I'm going to save our TV recaps for next week because we talked about so much this week. I want to talk about Young, Famous, and African. I want to talk about that Gerard Carmichael special on HBO Max, which, woo-wee, if you have not had a chance to watch that, please do. Oh, we could talk about this last but not least because this is a small piece. I told you about Winning Time, the story about the rise of the Lakers in the 80s, Showtime, and it focuses on Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Norm Nixon and a couple other folks. I don't even know the name of Wood Harris's character. He came in this episode. And the running joke with him is that he had circumcised his own dick. Look, the guy was played by Wood Harris, who took all of his clothes off and showed everyone his dick. Now, the camera did not show us Wood Harris's dick, but they showed us every other part of Wood Harris, including his full body and his bare ass. Look, I don't know if that was a double or Wood Harris has been in the gym all this time and we didn't notice. Wood Harris been working the fuck out. Wood Harris is finely formed and his ass is sublime. Do yourself a favor and go watch Winning Time. I, I had to stop and rewind. And I was like, is that Wood Harris? I always thought Wood Harris had some energy to him. I thought he had some energy and paid in full. I definitely thought he had some energy when he was in The Wire. I thought he had some energy when he was playing a manager in a, in a new edition movie. Naked Wood Harris got energy too. Like, woo-wee. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Bless yourself and go watch Wood Harris's ass in winning time. It's beautiful. It's high. It's a work of art. Firm. Finely formed. Amen. All right. We have not covered everything, but we have covered some things. We will cover some more things when we get back on Friday. Until such time. If you have not picked up your merchandise for Ratchet and Respectable, please do. Please support the podcast. I greatly appreciate it when you do. You can find merchandise on DemetriaLLucas.com. We have tees. We have sweats. We have hoodies. We have mugs. We have many things. So pick a thing, order a thing, and I will send you a thing. Okay? We will talk again on Friday. Bye.